0: Entering the Freedom Hut.
1: Brett Stevens is very upset for the New York Times because he was called a bed bug. We'll also talk about Trump's latest fights with China in the trade war. McCabe versus Papadopoulos looks like a two-tiered system of justice from the deep staters. Epstein footage has some of its unusable and also a massive Purdue Pharma settlement. We'll get to that more coming up on the Buck Sexton Show. This,
2: this
0: is the Buck, Buck Sexton, Sexton show, show,
2: where the mission, mission is to decode what really matters with actionable intelligence. Russia. One small thing.
3: Make no mistake. America. Ready. are a great American again.
2: The Buck Sexton Show begins.
4: Activate. Former CIA analyst. Former member of the NYPD. Buck Sexton.
3: It is Buck Sexton.
4: Now. Your Twitter account, after a controversy that involved someone calling you a name, would you like to comment on that?
0: Yeah, uh, I'm going to be careful with my words because I know these are going to be examined carefully. So I think Twitter brings out the worst in its users, it tends to bring out the worst in its users. And yesterday, um, a professor at George Washington University described me as a bedbug or a metaphorical bedbug just in the context of the New York Times having a a bedbug problem in our building and i think that kind of rhetoric is is dehumanizing and totally unacceptable no matter where where it comes from so I wrote him a personal email. I didn't go to Twitter. I wrote him a, a, a personal email, which I think was 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 very uh, uh, civil, saying that I didn't appreciate it, that I would welcome him to come to my home in New York, meet, uh, meet with my family and see if he would call me a bedbug to uh, my face. Because a lot of the things people say on social media aren't the things they're really prepared to say in one on one. OK, OK, can we, can we stop? Well, welcome everybody to the Buck Sexton show.
1: It's late in the summer, so we're going to do whatever we want today or talk about whatever we feel like talking about. So, that is, in case you don't know, that, I mean, we're like, Buck, why are you leading? We're going to get to China, immigration, very important settlement on opioids. We've got important news stories to get to, as we always do. But I just thought today <laughs> we could have some fun with the fact that here you have a, a New York Times columnist, pretty well known, at least in New York Times reading circles formerly of the Wall Street Journal, uh, a never-Trump stalwart, someone who uh, has said that if you don't think Donald Trump is is deplorable, you're deplorable. I mean, that I forget what exact the exact word he used was. It was something like that. You know, if you don't think Trump is awful, you're awful. That was a column he wrote as a so-called conservative. And here he is showing us once again that the Lib journos, and he's not even a Lib journo, he's a never-Trump Rooting for the Democrats now, former conservatives, so whatever you call that. But the journos in general, the journalist class, really doesn't like when what they do to others is done to them. Because they will go after people, they will dive into their into their public and private records, they'll publish stories that are, uh, to say that they're of questionable news importance is is an overstatement but when people call them out you find out they're actually quite thin-skinned they're quite thin-skinned I mean you know uh, you know the, I've mentioned before you know Jake Tapper for example is is almost like pathologically thin-skinned about any criticism on Twitter and public and he'll go after you and he'll call you know he, he's crazy right he, he seems like he's put together on TV but in reality he's very thin-skinned Um. Other journalists, the same thing. And I mean, if you if you go after, you know, Don Lemon, if you go after uh, Fredo Cuomo, we we are treated to a a perfect example of this, right? You know, saying completely Cuomo, bro Cuomo, as we call him, because we're respectful. We don't call him Fredo. We call him bro Cuomo. uh, We see that bro Cuomo was threatening physical harm against someone for calling him Fredo. A reference to The Godfather Part 2, which is a quite excellent movie. Unlike Godfather Godfather Part 3, which I will save you some hours of your life, give it back to you, and you'll be fine. By the way, Trump tweeted out, no bedbugs at Doral. The radical left Democrats, upon hearing that, perfectly located for the next G7, uh, was under consideration. They spread that rumor. Not nice. (laughs) That's a Trump tweet. No bed bugs at the Doral. I mean, so 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 bed bugs today. I'm just telling you, bed bug was the top trending and and uh, Brett Stevens' top trending item on Twitter all day. This is just look. It's a late summer story. People are, you know, the politicians aren't really in D.C. and ever. A lot of the journo's are in the Hamptons or Nantucket or you know wherever they hang out. And so all of a sudden, this story has gotten a whole lot of attention. But it is a reminder that journalists do tend to be a very thin-skinned bunch. They take themselves quite seriously and the best part of this was well there's a lot of great parts of it um is that stevens instead of just saying so remember he wrote a letter to a professor an email to a professor at george washington university because the professor this is what he wrote someone uh wrote about the new york that the new york times has a Bed bug infestation, which is gross, by the way. I mean, I have a friend who told me, and I hope none of you are eating right now, who told me years ago, when someone will tell you about their bed bug infestation, that's a, that's a level of trust, right? You don't want anyone to know. If you have you ever had bed bugs? This is like this is like giving out your personal medical history or something. People don't want to ever talk about this usually. I had a friend who had a bed bug. Now it sounds like I'm like, I, n- I never had bed bugs. I had a friend who had a bed bug infestation years ago. And he told me about what it looked like and what he had to go through, and it is traumatizing. If it happens in your home, this is of course in an office, but it's it's a traumatizing experience. Um, but the story is that the New York Times has a bedbug infestation, and then someone joked on Twitter, and these are not people with big Twitter followings. When you someone joked on Twitter that the bedbugs are a metaphor, the bedbugs are Brett Stevens. That was the that was the line. Now I can tell you, as somebody who's been on Twitter for a number of years and has been the target of plenty of very nasty left wing attacks, that um that line is p g for twitter it's It's actually rated g do they still have rated, uh, did they make rated G movies? It's like what you could take your five year old to see the The bedbugs are Brett Stevens is about as Docile, about as as tame as a Twitter insult is going to get. Brett Stevens, syndicated columnist, been in the game a very long time. Hates Trump, of course. Hates, hates, hates Trump. Very vocal about that. And I, you know, I, I've bumped into him once or twice in Greenham. Not a friendly guy, so I don't have particularly much of an issue here by having a little bit of fun with the situation. Uh, he wrote a letter, as he stated in his in his the little monologue there that we played for you. And co- see, this is the part of it that I got a problem. with. He wrote a letter and it, it, he looks like a big baby, obviously, because he is a big baby. Uh, but he wrote this letter and he CC the provost of the university, which is basically like I'm going to write a letter to you and CC your boss. He went to CC your boss and other journalists do this, too. I won't name them. Na- I won't name them right now, but they've done it. to People that I know. In the media field. They'll they'll call out the person and say, oh, you know, I'm also sending an email to your boss, or they'll CC the boss, try to get them in trouble. That's just a a lame crappy thing to do. It is. Especially for an insult. That's barely even an insult. I mean, I've I've been called worse I've been called worst things by friends of mine in the last month. A bed bug? And then he tried to say, Stevens tried to say that he. Didn't actually want there to be any real uh, consequence for him. He just cc'd the provost of the university that employs that professor because he just wanted him to be aware of what kind of public discord. I mean, please, if you're a little punk, if you're a snide, thin skinned baby who's going to try to get someone in trouble with their boss because they said something about you that's not even that mean at all on Twitter, own it. Own what you did. Don't try to just compound it and make it even worse. This is one of the new this is the, the conservative, so to speak, that the New York Times employs. This is the conservative who I'll also note for you was defending a colleague, I believe her name is Sarah Jung, uh, defending a colleague who said v- very racist things about white people. Like basically white people are the worst, white people are terrible, all kinds of stuff like that. Said that, oh, you know, she's learned and she's grown and let's not. But, you know, he was another guy who was like, Roseanne needed to be fired right away for what Roseanne did. My friends at the Federalist pointed this out today with his, his you know, his double standard on, well, some people can be racist, but other people can be racist and get away with it. Right. That was the, the double standard that that he had set there. And. Uh, Brett Stevens, you know, says that the pro, Oh, we got more from him actually here. Let's hear it. This is his, he's going on TV folks too, Cause this is the biggest social media based story in the country today. By far trending on Twitter. The president is tweeting about this bed bugs.
0: I also copied his provost, uh, on the note. People are uh, upset about this. I want to be clear. I had no intention whatsoever to get him in any kind of professional trouble, but it is the case that the New York times and other institutions, that's a lie. Okay, so that's it's annoying that he would go on TV. You know, I I, look, I have
1: had the feeling so many times where I want because I as I've admitted to you, in case, you know, ever anyone ever meets me on the street or, you know, you hear a a video of me from my off hours or something. I use salty language. I am. I'm not somebody who shirks from uh, profanity in my private life. Um, But for him to have. Done what he oh and then I wish that I could say that to people on Twitter you know but I can't because I have a an obligation to present a a public uh, a a professional face to the public with these issues but I trust me there's so many times when I would love to use a lot of very uh, colorful words for people that say things that are either untrue or that particularly when it gets personal but I don't do it right. But i understand that impulse so if he said you know what it just rubbed me the wrong way but i was a uh, okay that's one thing but no no he wants to tell us now that he isn't even worse
0: because he tried to get him fired it's just a lie that uh, people should be aware managers should be aware of the way in which their people their professors or journalists uh, interact with the rest of the world that's certainly the case with, uh, with me at the New York Times. My, my editors are always aware of, of what I'm saying and I've sometimes been called to account, uh, uh, rightly so. He then posted my email on Twitter so people are free to go and look at what I, uh, uh, what I had to say. All I would say is that using dehumanizing rhetoric like bedbugs or you or know, analogizing people to insects is, is always wrong, we can do better, we should be the people on social media that we are in real life.
2: I would agree with that final statement for sure. Um, is that the worst thing that you have ever been called on social media? There's a
0: there's a bad history of being called, uh, of being analogized to insects that goes back to a lot of totalitarian regimes in the past. I've been called worse. I wrote this guy a personal note. Now it's out there for everyone to
1: see. Oh, my gosh. He did it. He went there. I, you know, it's... Someone said I was like a bedbug as a joke, but a bedbug is a type of vermin, and vermin are dehumanized because they're not people. And totalitarian regimes have used the rhetoric of vermin to dehumanize groups in the past. Therefore, the guy is basically a you know basically being a Nazi who said that I was a bedbug. I mean, you could just see the whole logic loop going on there. Look, Brett Stevens is getting everything that he deserves with this one because he just made it worse. It is a it is a lie when he says that he did not want the guy that that was not his intent, whether he wants him to now or or not is irrelevant. It's a lie when he says he didn't want him to get in trouble because Brett Stevens, a big New York Times columnist, this guy's some professor no one's ever heard of. Guy has like 50 followers on Twitter. So he's lying to the American public about that. And but then also to go there. I mean, this is just what Chris Cuomo did with what he said about Fredo. Comparing it to an, an ethnic slur when no one thinks it's an ethnic slur. They've called Donald Trump Jr. Fredo countless times on CNN. But what is the real moral of the story here? Other than it's just a very amusing little a little vignette of what our journo elites are really like. What is the moral of the story here? Uh, these are the individuals who are going to be presenting you with what they say is objective reality going into a very contentious election. These are the people that are going to be presenting to you what they say is the truth and their judgment about what to tell you. And as importantly, what not to tell you is something you can either trust or very thoroughly scrutinize or perhaps distrust entirely because you know that the individual involved is not somebody who is honorable and has good judgment. Uh, Brett Stevens showed a lot of people who he is uh, over the last 24 hours. And I can tell you this, my friends, he is not the only one at The New York Times. In fact, he's probably one of the much better ones over at The New York Times. So maybe the only way that we get reform in the world of journalism is to insist that journalists at least at least have a standard human beings approach to being mocked or ridiculed and not think that it is a, a five alarm fire that everybody should freak out about. Uh, we'll get into some actually important stuff here in a second. Uh, we have some immigration discussion to have. We also have the possibility of charges. Actually, let, let's get to that. The charges that may come against Andy McCabe, former FBI and now CNN contributor, former FBI acting director. Um, here's a prediction for you. I do not think they will charge him. Why? Well, to hear that, you got to stay through the break. So we're going to find out very soon whether the justice system in this country is entirely rigged by politics. We're going to find out very soon. We are told that uh, it is a matter of days before we find out if there are charges against Andy McCabe, who was the uh, acting FBI director at the, well, after the firing of James Comey, who was very tight with James Comey. McCabe, it has also since come out, is a very uh, self satisfied and sanctimonious bureaucrat, a deep stater extraordinaire. Um, and he, here's the problem that we face right now. Andy McCabe, according to the FBI's own internal investigation, lied four separate times. Lied. He, this is about the disclosure of information to a reporter about the Hillary Clinton uh, Clinton Foundation investigation. And he said that he didn't know anything about this. And it turns out that, no, he does. He, he in fact, I believe he was the one who disclosed the information. And he even called subordinates in New York to yell at them about the leak, saying who would do such a thing. This was all in the inspector general report. So now this is a very straightforward application of the law. Either the acting FBI director, whose wife, as we know, is going to run as a Democrat and who hates Trump and who was involved in a discussion about an insurance policy in case Trump won. Right. Remember this from the Lisa Page and Peter Strzok text messages? Annie McCabe lied, according to his own FBI. He lied in a uh, legally binding context where he he broke criminal law. This is what happened. And now, this is a guy who I can assure you, I can assure you, sent lots of people to prison as an agent and then moving up the ranks as a manager. Lots of people to prison for doing exactly that lying about something that's not even necessarily a crime. James Comey, McCabe's mentor and friend, was a pioneer in the realm of. Throwing people in prison who didn't break any laws, but maybe misremembered something irrelevant. And then, you know, this is like the Martin Martha Stewart. That was all James Comey. Um, Do I think that they're going to press charges against McCabe? I think the answer is no, even though he very clearly broke the law. I will tell you why in a moment. So why is it that I'm so confident? I could be wrong, but let's be honest. How often does that happen? Why is it that I'm so confident that Andy McCabe will evade prosecution? There'll be some stern words about how he shouldn't have misled the FBI investigators. Uh, I'm so confident about it because I understand what we are up against. I understand how the other side, how the left thinks, how they approach power, how they wield power. And they know, ultimately, they know. That this is a very important moment for the hashtag resistance, because it is an opportunity to show that if you are anti-Trump, you are, in fact, above the law. If you hate this president, the libs in whether it's the jury pool, the prosecutor's office or the deep state will protect you. All you have to do is is despise this president and work openly against him, which is what we know Andy McCabe was doing. McCabe hates the president. And, oh, he's now a CNN commentator. Well, isn't that interesting? Isn't that special? CNN commentator Andy McCabe. Hmm. Will he be indicted? Probably not. What do you think George Papadopoulos thinks of that? They sent Papadopoulos to uh, to jail for a couple of weeks. He didn't commit any other crimes. He wasn't some mastermind of a criminal conspiracy and they could only get him on lying. You know, this isn't Al Capone. They just got him on tax evasion because they couldn't get him on all the murders and racketeering and everything else. But why should Papadopoulos suffer a punishment that, the, that a person who was at the very top of the federal law enforcement hierarchy would, would escape for doing the same thing? I would need someone to have a really... Good explanation for this. Um, George Papadopoulos here. This is from our friend Andy McCabe. Quote, the date of a meeting. That's all the lie was about. George Papadopoulos claimed that a meeting he'd had with the mysterious Maltese professor Joseph Mifsud happened slightly before the green is grass. Twenty eight year old was recruited into the Trump campaign. In reality, it was slightly after it wasn't a very important lie. It was of no consequence to the FBI or the special counsel's investigation. Papadopoulos was such an afterthought to the Bureau that it did not bother to interview him until late January 2017, about 10 months after he met Mifsud. By the time Papadopoulos was charged, the Trump rush investigation had been ongoing for well over a year. It was already clear there was no conspiracy. Yet that didn't stop Mueller's staff and Rod Rosenstein, their Justice Department superior, from indicting Papadopoulos on a felony charge. Nor did it stop them from exhorting a federal court to impose a sentence of incarceration. That's right. Not only did they want him to have a felony record, they wanted him to sit in a cell. Because he lied to them about the date of a meeting that didn't matter in any way, shape, or form to anyone. Other than the investigation that shouldn't have been happening in the first place because it was all a deep state witch hunt. We know this. It's over. They tried. They took their best shot and they missed. But why should Papadopoulos have a felony record and see the inside of a prison and not Andy McCabe? Don't we expect more of the FBI director? Don't we expect more of somebody who sent lots of people to prison for offenses that were offenses against the state? You know, no no one ever questions when you send people along the lines of, you know, a murder, a kidnapper, any of that to a prison. But what about when you send somebody who is caught lying and no about no underlying criminal conduct? FBI. I mean, Andy McCabe put plenty of people. It's U.S. Code one zero zero one he put plenty of people away for that if the felony charges that the bureau of investigation the federal bureau of investigation drops against people on a regular basis for minimal lies, which i oppose but i I think that we need to get a grip on this whole thing i I think that unless it's a material unless it is a truly material lie that you are absolutely certain was willful and knowing and malicious and intended to throw off the investigators if it's minor This reminds me of the uh, remember Scooter Libby. In the Scooter Libby trial, the whole case turned on whether or not Tim Russert said the name of a person to uh, of of a a a CIA officer to Scooter Libby, Lewis Libby. I mean, we all call him Scooter, or whether Libby said it to him first. Do you know what the proof was? The proof was Tim Russert's word. That was taken as the proof. They believed Russert. They didn't believe, they didn't believe Libby. Just because. That was all. And they wanted to send Libby away, I think it was for 18 months, Your federal prison. He didn't leak anyone's name, folks. The leaker was Armitage, and they knew that. And they pressed charges against Libby anyway. You're noticing a pattern, aren't you? If you're... Attached to, if you're on the right, if you're involved with the right, you do not get the benefit of the doubt. If you are on the right, you're a target. If you're a leftist, if you do the bidding of the Democrat Party, if you go after the Democratic Party's enemies, somehow you just always, look, the best example, this is Bill Clinton himself. Bill Clinton committed a felony. Bill Clinton lied under oath. That's it. We, people can can dance around it and all oh, this and that. And the other. He lied under oath and the Democratic Party circled the wagon and said, sorry, the president's this president's allowed to commit a felony. It's too important to the Democratic cause. Hmm. Just like Hillary Clinton with her misuse and uh, reckless treatment of classified information which is also i would note uh, can be can be a felony charge depending on the circumstances but they just said you know what it's clear she broke the law it's clear what the law is we just don't plan on holding her responsible for it and i think you're likely to see the same thing with mccabe there'll be some some kind of uh you know mumble mumble served his country good man everything okay why didn't General Flynn get the benefit of that doubt from the Department of Justice? You know he didn't. They hit him with a felony, want to ruin him, bankrupt him. He didn't lie. He didn't He lied about a conversation according to them. I still think it's interesting if he even really lied or not, uh, whether he misremembered. um but he he lied about a conversation that was in no way uh, criminal, put him in any kind of jeopardy. But they just decided that that's what they were going to do, that they were going to charge him. Who gets charged and who doesn't is one of the most most important areas of government action to watch because it tells you who's really running things. And when one side keeps getting a pass, when one side keeps getting the the uh, the Bill Clinton treatment, the Jussie Smollett treatment, the Hillary Clinton treatment, you'll notice this. But the other and this is this matters in in politically charged cases. This matters when there is a a political foundation to all of it. What is the other side supposed to think? What are what are we supposed to believe? You know, they're they're right now already analyzing how because Trump is so hated in D.C., the swamp where I was formerly a resident, you know, the swamp is. After San Francisco, the most left wing Democrat heavy affiliate, Democrat heavy by registration uh, major city in the whole country. And they think that maybe McCabe will get off if, if he takes it to a jury trial just because people hate Trump so much. That's right. Now you're going to have jury nullification of federal law because hashtag they hate Trump. And they'll feel righteous about that too. So somehow... No, but that would only be if we see charges. I don't think you're going to see charges. And they'll just sweep the whole thing away. They'll say, oh, well... It, it didn't look like it was a slam dunk case. Or they just, and then we'll move on. They know we'll move on. Nobody will really pay that much attention. But here's what I mean. I'm I'm here to tell you. The game, the criminal justice game, is fixed in favor of the left from the very top. From the very top. Even when you have a Republican president. Because the justice system is really run by the permanent bureaucracy. And there are all these rules that only is, are used against the right about, oh, you know, there's you can't, you know, involve yourself in an ongoing investigation. And, well, he's amazed people will say this. Oh, look what Trump did involving himself in an ongoing criminal investigation of him with his tweets. And I said, you know, Obama said that, uh, you know, involved himself in the Hillary Clinton email investigation while he was president and said there's nothing there. How is that not... in? You know, oh, I've said this to people that say, well, that doesn't... Uh, 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 they don't think this stuff through. Um, and that's, that's... So that's what I think is going to happen with McCabe. Uh, just one more criminal justice story to get to today. And, and I don't want to be... Uh, I, I don't want to blur these lines between analysis and conspiracy. But sure enough, I saw today reported in numerous places that some portion of the Epstein surveillance video from the prison is in fact considered unusable, unreadable, whatever it may be. I mean, you can't really see. There was a malfunction of what is considered essential footage to the investigation at one of the security. Producer Mike, you see this today? I'm not imagining this, right? Oh, yeah, I saw it. I mean, I I just wonder at what point are we allowed to say that there are too many coincidences here that would all line up as coincidences in this way if, if the whole purpose was really to prevent certain names, certain information around Epstein. I know Epstein's gone, but there are a whole bunch of other people around Epstein from getting out there i mean how much more do we have to stomach of this stuff before we can say that something's
5: really wrong here right yeah it's it's beyond conspiracy it's common sense now
1: it's turned into common sense i mean you know i i tweeted out today and i'm really curious people think about this are we still supposed to say the words conspiracy theory if we're told in a couple of weeks of there was a malfunction in the fbi you know evidence process and some of the some of the hard drives and things that they took from Epstein's house uh, just disappeared or was lost in a fire or was accidentally erased by a wayward uh, you know, computer technician. You know, what is too much for us to think that all of this just happened the way that it happened? Because two guards asleep, Epstein left alone, Epstein taken off of suicide watch three weeks after he tried to commit suicide. Epstein allowed access to materials that could uh, that could uh, be used for a suicide, even though he never should have been. Haven't heard anything yet about these raids of his properties. What do they take from his properties? When when do we get to find out about that? And for those of you who probably think, well, hold on a second, Buck, unpack, unpack your worst case scenario for this for a moment. How could anyone in the currently in the system, whether it's Bureau of Prisons or DOJ or anywhere? How could anyone in the system do anything that would help hide the truth about Epstein? It might not just be, it might not be, be about Epstein at all. There are people who think that they are doing the right thing. I have known them in the federal bureaucracy by protecting the bureaucracy. And the way they justify it to themselves is this is such an important institution. This matters to the American, that belief in this institution matters to the American people so much that even if we have to lie to the American people, even if we have to hide things to the American people about the truth of what has gone on here, it's for their own good. Someone pressured Acosta to take the deal. Someone pressured, I can't remember, uh, I can't remember the guy's name, the, uh, uh, the state's attorney in Palm Beach to give a, a, an insanely favorable deal. There was pressure brought to bear. Who did that? If we find out that it was someone very high up the chain of command, it would rock our faith in the Department of Justice and the justice system itself. A lot of people out there could justify to themselves hiding that kind of information from the public because our institutions are just too important. That's is something that I want you to remember as we keep getting more information about how we never get any information. They're not going to present you with any indictable smoking gun evidence from Epstein's cache of what had to be blackmail information on some of the most powerful people in the world having sex with underage girls. Had to be no information about this, no proof anywhere even though this guy set up what is essentially a proof factory to blackmail powerful people i will not give up on this we will keep following this we all have limited attention spans we have limited ability to address any problem make any you know make any decision our energy our resources are not endless and that matters when you start to think about What the media focuses on, Uh, you compare, for example, the hysteria around climate change, which we'll talk more about later in the show, with the lack of real emotion, the lack of focus, the lack of attention on the opioid crisis, which is an orders of magnitude more important, more real, more devastating problem. One of these things is a liberal fantasy that has nothing to do with anything really other than government control. And the other is a national emergency. 70,000 people a year in the last few years on average dying, dying. These are people who are now dead from a drug overdose. And yet liberals have far in the media, far less outrage to. Uh. Use on this issue. You know that they're spending much less time. Well, that may change at least for a few days here because the maker of OxyContin, the most well known opioid, Purdue Pharma, and its owners, the Sackler families, according to NBC News today, are offering to settle more than two thousand lawsuits against the company for ten to twelve billion dollars. And this would be a this is a huge class action lawsuit, obviously. Um, Now, the truth is this won't bring anyone back who's been lost the opioid crisis. um, But it will at least give some measure of justice, perhaps to some of the families. And it also is a reminder that uh, pharmaceutical companies do have ethical obligations and modern medicine has uh, ethical obligations that it failed in dramatic fashion uh, to keep keep going when it comes to the opioid crisis and what happened with Oxycontin, among other drugs. We'll
6: keep an eye on this. So what do you say to the governors of those 19 states that are suing the Trump administration? I would ask them, do you really care about these people? Because when you, when you, when you entice people to come to this country by guaranteeing they won't be detained when you when you vilify ICE for trying to carry out the judges orders and you don't want them doing that, you entice more people to come to this country. Thirty-one percent of women are being sexually assaulted at making that journey. Children are dying. Cartels are getting rich. The same cartels that have murdered Border Patrol agents. At what point does the laws of this country that were enacted by Congress need to be enforced we got to stop ignoring it so again this isn't just about enforcing law this isn't just about securing the border. It's about saving lives there's no downside on securing our border there's no downside unless illegal immigration that bankrolls criminal organizations there's no downside unless illegal drugs come this country well that's let's not, secure our border that yeah. is our job as a nation that's tom
1: homan i can tell you he, he is a national treasure on the issue of uh, immigration and he's somebody who knows that issue as well as anybody you'll find you know whenever tom and i see each other in the green room at fox we're always just exchanging thoughts on the latest here with the crisis and what's going on and notice the way that he frames it it it, it changes so much how you would have a conversation about immigration the magnet has to be shut off that that people believe by violating our laws, they will receive a benefit and they will not be punished in any way. That then promotes the mass immigration. Yes, the, the invasion of migrants from Central America in violation of U.S. law into this country because they think it will be good for them. If you stop that process... If you turn off the benefits, you also then make it much less likely that all of these very, very bad things will happen as a result of their decision to try to enter the United States legal. He brought up 30 percent of women being sexually assaulted along the way, children who are exposed to all kinds of, of risk, including some children who have died because they have made the journey. They did not die because they got to U.S. custody and an hour later were taken to a hospital. They died because of the journey that adults decided to take them on. Or in some cases, you have minors who are assaulted, who are sexually assaulted, and and who have been put at tremendous risk sent alone to the border. If you want this to stop, you have to convince people that this is not a good idea for them to take the risks involved. No one... No one is going to go bankrupt at the at the racetrack if they can't win any money, right? I mean, if, if there's no chance that there's going to be anything good that happens, if you're not going to pay no one's going to take those risks. You have to eliminate the incentive. This is essential in dealing with the immigration crisis. It is absolutely a first step. This isn't something down the line to figure out. It's the first step, and that is why when you see how the left acts on this issue it's clear that they don't want this to stop that's why they fight against the enforcement mechanisms at every step of the way they fight against deportation they fight against detaining people until they're hearing that's what the big argument is now okay we're going to keep the families together families will stay together no family separation all right fine democrats you've won that argument no family separation which now means that we're creating a a special carve out within immigration within criminal immigration enforcement uh, that does not exist in the rest of criminal law because if you are drunk driving folks if one of you which, you know obviously don't ever do it's a very risky very stupid thing to do but if you're drunk driving and you've got a kid in the back seat and you don't have a relative that can take custody of that child that child is going to be in the custody of the state till you get out of you get out of, out of prison you're going to be separated from that child at least for the processing phase it's going to happen so now we have a, a separate set of law for the enforcement of, of immigration statutes. And the Democrats show us who they really are on this, which is a party that wants this lawlessness uh, to continue. And that's why now that the, the Trump administration has said, you know what, we're just not going to we're, we're going to change. This is really an internal mechanism within the federal government. The Flores consent decree. This is not a congressional statute. This is a a federal judge telling the government that you got to do this and this is how we should go. And the government agreed to it. Well, okay, now we're going to agree to something else. And again, Tom uh, Holman weighed in on this one, specifically on Flores and why this is such an important change. And Democrats know it's an important change, which is why they are completely freaking out over this.
6: No, we did this back in FY15. It took about 40, 45 days to send them to see a judge. And But when the florist's uh, recent decision came out a couple years ago saying, you know, you're going to only home for 20 days, we warned the court. I personally didn't have to We warned the court. If you do this, if you if make us release them before they see a judge, you're going to see a surge in family units that like you've never seen before. And, of course, I was called a fear monger. I didn't have evidence of it. And look what happened. So holding them in a family residential center for up to, you know, 40, 45 days It's not that bad since it's a it's a facility built for families. It's not a jail cell. And also, if they're really escaping fear and persecution and death from their homeland, I don't see the downside in detaining them for a couple weeks longer to see a judge in a family residential center that can be well taken care of. See, that's what we're really talking
1: about here, folks. A couple of weeks more so that they can be processed and see a judge. All along, we've been told, oh, they're just seeking asylum. They're just seeking asylum. Why won't you let them lawfully seek asylum? Well, they've illegally entered the country because they've overwhelmed our processes. So at ports of entry, we say, sorry, we can't take you in right now. We, we're, there's too many. You're going to have to wait. They say, well, I don't want to wait. I'm going to surrender. I'm going I'm to walk across the border, break U.S. law, violate sovereignty of the United States, and then I'm going to want to go through my legal process. You know, then I'm going to want to tell people that I, I need asylum. Well, to Tom's point here, if you really want asylum because you have a credible fear, and this is, the, this is what it all turns on, you have a credible fear that you will be subject to violence if you return to your home country, then is the prospect of 30 or 40 days in a U.S. family detention facility, meant for families, where you will be fed, clothed, housed, receive medical care, all a taxpayer expense, mind you. No one's paying any money for this other than the taxpayer. Is that so unthinkable? Does that make us such a such terrible people? I mean, look at what other countries do when they have an illegal immigrant population. They detain people. They hold them in facilities. This is standard everywhere. But Democrats, they'll point to the rest of the world when it suits them on, oh, look at you know, what they do in healthcare here, or Look at the very high rates of taxation in this quaint European country with nice lattes and some cobblestone streets, you know. Uh, but when it comes to sovereignty in the rest of the world, you know, try showing up in like Japan and saying, yeah, I just want to stay here. Thanks. It's just not going to happen. It will not happen. You will not be successful in that process. Most countries around the world are far stricter about immigration than we are. And no country in the world takes in as many legal immigrants every year as we do. And what do Democrats do now? When we have a fix to the loophole, they complain about the fix. Well, if you both agree that the loophole needs to be fixed, you don't complain when that actually happens. They never wanted this to be fixed. And that's why you have these states 19 of them including the district of columbia that are all suing the trump administration saying that 20 days is is the that's what it has to be it's an arbitrary number why does it have to be 20 days says who why not 12 days why not 50 days 20 days why just because some judge 20 years ago plus over 20 years ago decided that 20 days sounds about right
2: these states are supporting the magnets of illegal immigration the reason we're being overrun is two reasons if you come here and claim asylum you're hearing is three years away and you never show up we don't hold people for three years, so all they've got to do is ask for asylum. If you bring a minor child, we can only hold the child for 20 days. We turn the child over to a Labor HHS. Since you don't want to separate families, we'll let the entire family go. So they're, they're continuing a bad practice. Shame on these states. Shame on the District of Columbia. The Congress should change our laws to allow you to hold minor children and their families long enough to process their claims so you don't let them out into the interior of the country.
1: See, folks, the real point here is that all along, Democrats have been pretending that we're working toward the same goal in immigration. You know, they, they just want to be humanitarian. They, they, they want to be uh, considerate of, of the, the children involved. In this in Remember, it's always one of my rules. Whenever someone says that they're doing it for your, your safety or for the children, be suspicious in the government. Be suspicious. Uh, now we've got a fix to that problem, and they're saying, well, now that's unacceptable. All, all these states are suing. And I'd be very curious to know in in what way are they even going to claim standing here, because they have they have residents that want illegal aliens to come into the country. I mean, how exactly are they all going to claim it? Well, we'll have to see what the specifics are of the suit. Um, But you know, Lindsey Graham, he goes for me. He goes back and forth in immigration. Sometimes I feel like he's pretty squared away, and other times he's a little too squishy for my taste. But here's uh, Lindsey on how we can
2: fix this the Democrats do not want They hate Trump well yeah exactly They I, hate I Trump
0: we get that but at the same time this is a humanitarian crisis at our southern border it would seem that you know you, you've been working with other
2: Democrats
0: Trump. I know they hate Trump but they've got you, we we, <laughs> we send you people to Washington to fix stuff and you're not fixing it
2: send people to Washington who don't hate Trump I have been working on immigration for 10 years. I'm willing to deal with the DACA population, give them a place to stay in our country, a pathway to citizenship. I'm willing to spend money in Central America to make life better. I've done everything I know to do. I've talked. I've turned blue in the face. I can't get one Democrat to agree with me that you should apply for asylum in Central America or Mexico, not the United States. This
1: tells you everything you need to know. Because if they had to apply for asylum in Mexico, not the United States, they would stop coming. And you know what that would mean? Because they're not going to get asylum. Vast majority, 90% plus won't get asylum. Oh, what that means is that all along we've been lied to, we've been played. If all of a sudden things change, this is like my, my test for the Clinton Foundation, which I turned out to be right, as you know. I said, okay, the Clinton Foundation, if it's really about charity and not about buying access... When Hillary Clinton is no longer going to be president of the United States, the donations, especially from, from abroad for the Clinton Global Initiative, they should stay exactly the same. It's about a charity, man. It's not about buying access. Oh, and what did we find out? I think it dropped. Producer Mike, was it about 40 percent? Does that sound about right? I think 35, 40 percent year one. and now, Oh, and they shut down the Clinton Global Initiative. So they could. they didn't even want to wait and see how much it would drop year two, so they shut it down. Because guess what? We were right. There was influence peddling. There was access selling going on by the Clinton Foundation, whether, you know, whether it was a quid pro quo, or it was just perception of access. That's what was happening. It wasn't just about charity.
3: All along,
1: the media, and the Democratic Party have been telling us that the people showing up at our southern border have done so, claiming asylum, have done so in good faith because they fear for their lives. Well, if all of a sudden... They can't just say that and get into the United States and then never show up for their hearing if they have to go through the real asylum process and then be subject to deportation because they are not in the United States. They just get taken to a judge and then they get expeditiously removed afterwards because they're staying in Mexico. Guess what? They weren't really asylum seekers all along. The Democrats want to avoid they want to avoid that recognition of reality. They also want to avoid angering their far left radical base that does want an open border that wants these loopholes to continue as is. Does not want to see any change because this creates what is a de facto open door for anyone outside of US borders to come into America. And then one political party, the Democrat Party, is going to tell them, you have a right to be here. Don't worry that you broke our laws. In fact, we owe this to you. And the only people that you need to worry about are those big, bad, mean Republicans. So vote against them. Vote for us and all will be well. This is the game. It's the it's the California model for the whole country. Flip the whole country blue through illegal immigration from the developing world. That's the plan. We can all see it. We've got more coming up. All right, so I, I know I mentioned to you that, because we made this prediction on air before Hillary lost the election, that if she, if she in fact, was not the uh, president, that the Clinton Foundation donations would all, all of a sudden, it's a charity, folks, shouldn't, shouldn't matter, nobody should care, but all of a sudden there'd be problems. Bruce or Mike, what, what happened around <laughs> that time the Clinton Foundation?
5: So throughout Hillary's tenure as Secretary of State, uh, the foundation pulled in, on average, two hundred fifty-four million dollars a year. Okay, yeah. so a lot of money. That's a yeah, a good chunk of change. So they dropped from two hundred sixteen million in 2016 to just twenty-six point five million in 2017. Quick math, I'll tell you, Buck. That's an eighty-eight percent fall.
1: Only down eighty-eight percent, man. I mean, you know, it could happen to anybody. Wait, I thought that was a charity. So if it were a charity, all of a sudden, the whole world got a whole lot less charitable? Oh, maybe it wasn't about charity. Maybe it was a way to write checks to somebody who was going to be the the, the most powerful individual in the world, and people were trying to buy a little bit of favor, a little bit of gratitude, a little bit of what for what. You don't hear, you don't hear a lot of stories over at CNN about that one. No, right now they're freaking out because... Attorney General Barr, my main man, showed up at my going away party in D.C. If you guys haven't seen that, it's because you don't follow me on Instagram, Buck Sexton. You should all follow Buck Sexton on Instagram if you like, please. It's really just me now tweeting out things that wreck libs, and uh, or I I post tweets where I wreck libs, and then also occasionally me and Tallulah, my parents' French bulldog. You know, got to pose for the the pup photos and some some stuff from different media appearances. Um but now the the CNN folks are all angry because my man Attorney General Barr has booked a DC at uh, the has booked Trump's hotel in DC, the Trump Hotel in DC, which is a great hotel by the way, for thirty thousand dollars for a holiday party. Now the uh the thing about that is that he's paying out of his pocket. And now they're saying, oh, well, this raises questions about ethics and DOJ independence. And, you know, they're doing all this stuff. The usual, like, oh, my gosh, Trump. You know, Trump can't do anything. Trump can't buy a sandwich without people saying, oh, there's a transaction. He's paying people off and there's going to be favors. And he can't do anything without this is just this is like a lib hysteria over this. $30,000 for a party. But it's not even a very expensive holiday party. I hate to break it at a hotel. That's not. It's been a lot more money than that for different companies and corporations. Uh, but he's paying out of his pockets. Now they're going to say, oh, well, he can't be independent as attorney general. Um, No, I I think he could throw a party for the Department of Justice at a hotel that is owned by the president, and that's not going to all of a sudden mean that he doesn't understand the law and he doesn't have any ethics and nothing matters. I think that's quite an exaggeration. And then there's the other part of this that you won't hear from any places. But I know this to be true from other situations like this in D.C. Uh, guess what? I'm sure many, many, many D.C. hotels turned down the attorney general of the United States. I'm sure that happened. I don't even know. I haven't even seen that in a news story yet because it's just broke today. But I'm sure that's the case. I had a friend. I will. I, I don't want to name it because I don't want to. You know, I knew this from behind the scenes. I knew somebody who was doing a conservative show in D.C. from a venue and some people at the venue found out about his politics. And guess what? The venue, even though they were paying money and they had an agreement, kicked him out. Sorry, none of that Trump stuff here. Not in our place. You know, you, you could probably recite the Communist Manifesto in most D.C. hotels. And they say, oh, this is brilliant stuff. This is great. We should try this. This really makes a lot of sense. Um, but if you are supporting the president and the party that he leads, that is in power right now, um, you are... A bad person. That's what they want you to know. You're not even allowed to have a holiday party without this being a problem. There is nothing that is too petty, too minute and too unimportant for libs to freak out about when it comes to Trump. There's nothing that is beneath them. Nothing is allowed to just be not that big a deal. If Trump is involved, they will make it a big deal. They will make it an issue of national security of of tremendous importance to the American people just because they are suffering from Trump derangement syndrome. These people are nuts. They have a mass delusion, a mass mental health disorder due to the president of the United States being who he is. He can't help it. That's how Trump is. By the way, Trump hotel party. I might have to go. It's going to be great.
3: Just so you understand, China wants to make a deal. Now, whether or not we make a deal, it's got to be a great deal for us. You know, and I told this to President Xi, you're starting up here and you're making 500 billion a year and stealing our intellectual property. We're down on the floor, lower than the floor. Can't make a 50-50 deal. This has to be a deal that's better for us. And if it's not better, let's not do business together. I don't wanna do business. Forget about tariffs for a second. We're taking in tremendous amounts of money. Forget that, I don't wanna do business. Now, when I raise and he raises, I raise and he raise, we can never catch up. We have to balance our trading relationship at least to an extent. And they were unwilling to do that. And we'll never have a deal if that happens, but it's going to happen. Trump says we're
1: never going to have a deal unless the Chinese bend to some demands, not just to meet us halfway, but it sounds like he's saying, deal's got to be kind of sweet for us to make up, to balance out what had happened in the past. Now, maybe this is just his negotiating posture put out in public. But uh, this is where I can tell you, my friends, there, there is not going to be a major, a, a sweeping trade deal with china before this election which brings me back to what i said to you yesterday i i really do believe that the president holds the uh, e- even if it's just a temporary uh you know cessation if it's a pause in the trade war he holds that in his back pocket as a way to just create all kinds of optimism and, and ebullience in the economy right when he needs it um, it's it's an you know this is I think isn't it in, in, in racing sometimes you know you'll you'll get in the in NASCAR don't you get in behind the lead car and you can and that person then uh, there's like some technique I don't know anything about racing I'm totally going off the but he's essentially staying there keeping it for the right moment when he hits the afterburner which is what you do in a in a plane not a car you get what I'm saying Trump's holding it in his back pocket he's holding a an economic bazooka, so to speak, in his back pocket, and he's ready to use it when he needs to. Um, that's what I think is happening here with China. He's not going to get a deal. There's no way the Chinese will concede on this deal. But he has also changed the entire conversation about our trading relationship with China. No, no serious person really believes that we are unable to weather the storm so far. And also, no one thinks that we should have had a relationship with China continue as is. I mean, the trade war hasn't been that bad. And also, everyone now understands that the trade war is more of a of a necessity, or at least standing up to China on trade is more of a set necessity than it was in the past. Uh the president says the Chinese are interested in dealing.
3: I think they want to make a deal, and I think they should make a deal, and I think if they don't make a deal, it's going to be very bad for China. And I very much appreciate the fact that they came out last night, very late last night, and they said, you know, they want to make a deal. They wanted to be under calm circumstances. It was a little different kind of a statement. I thought it was a beautiful statement.
1: A beautiful statement, he says. Well, we shall see. Trump is sticking to uh, what he thinks is best on China and that's i got to say uh th- there is a le- there's leadership on display here I mean that Trump is leading on this issue of the China trade deal it is the signature really the signature economic and trade and foreign policy issue of his administration all in one and that's why the stakes are very high but the issue is of tremendous importance but he- here's On the other side of things, and I know I've said I've been way too nice about this guy on this show, so here we go with him talking about all kinds of nonsense. Here's the other side of it, which is that, oh, Trump's trade trade policies, not only are they bad, but his trade policies are tied into climate change and deforestation and therefore, see, once again, Trump is bad on the environment because they say so. Here's John Delaney talking about the Amazon, the fire, whenever he thinks of Amazon, they now think of the company, but there's also the big place, you know, Amazon River Basin, the Amazon rainforest. Uh, Delaney is saying that Trump's trade with China is the cause of the fires in the Amazon. This is some wild stuff. Like this notion of being kind of an isolationist
6: like the president is. I mean, a lot of Democrats are talking what's going on in the Amazon. You Mm -hmm. you opened with it. And in reality, that's directly related to trade. Mm -hmm. You know, the fact that U.S. farmers can sell soybeans to China has created an opportunity for Brazil to sell soybeans to China. And as a result, farmers are tearing down, you know, uh, the Amazon to grow soybeans. And so what Democrats have to understand is that an isolationist approach to the world is not the right answer
1: on any of these big issues that we care about. How is it an isolationist approach To stop the predatory trade practices, or or at least to to try to fight back against the predatory trade practices of the Chinese government. How is that isolationism? So is it now isolationism if if you just don't want to be ripped off? Am I being an isolationist when someone calls me on the phone and says that they're going to offer me a free cruise and I say, you know, I I don't want to give you my credit card just just so you have the number because I just want a free cruise. I, I don't think I believe you robocaller person or person that's trying to commit that fraud against me i i don't i don't think that anyone should believe in these things but nonetheless hopefully I, uh, the robocalls have been less recently but they're still they're still bad but this is the the perfect approach to everything that trump does which is that whatever he does is not just bad in that thing it ties into all the other things that the libs say trump is doing wrong and and where he's terrible and he's such a uh now, whether he's an idiot, he's a nightmare, he's a fascist. You know, Trump is either incapable of doing anything or in charge of everything, depending on the day you ask uh, libs about it. By the way, this, this Trump's trade war linked to Amazon rainforest destruction. Uh, th- this is from the oh, what a big surprise, the Huffington Post. But there was already a huge soy market in a uh, soybean market rather in Brazil before this. So you know, here you go. I mean, they're just gonna always—they're gonna find a way. And by the way, it's up to Brazil to determine you know what they gotta. Those farmers and the Brazilian economy could use a little bit more trade. Uh, it's it's really not for us to determine whether or not that they should be in a position to try to uh, benefit off of this economically. But you know, the libs always—they always have a reason to complain about this. The globes, uh, the Amazon rainforest is the biggest. Rainforest in the world, obviously, it's home to 3 million species of plants and animals. And last week, the uh, group of seven said they're going to provide $22 million to help with firefighting. Bolsonaro, did you see Bolsonaro clapped back pretty hard at Macron on this? Bolsonaro said, why don't you worry about, like, the preventable fire in your country? He took a, he took a Notre Dame cheap shot at him, which was a little bit of a surprise. I think people were like, whoa, range is hot. That was serious stuff. Uh, But, yeah, everything that Trump does has to be tied into every other liberal talking point in in some way. Um, And, you know, the the deforestation issue in the are we is the world allowed to tell Brazil that they cannot uh, they cannot cut down trees in order to make room for farmland? I mean, is is that up to the rest of the world? I I have to wonder at some point. Soy shipments from Brazil, according to this article here, jumped 27 percent from 2017 to 2018 oh wait but there's one other trade issue that i wanted to point out to you and that is the uh, u.s mexico canada agreement guess what he was right
3: on that one and that's actually coming along quite nicely play three so we're going to be significantly expanding our trading relationship when the usmca gets done and completed Uh, our farmers love it the unions love it the workers love it manufacturers love it everybody likes it i think Most Democrats like it, so hopefully that'll be put to a vote fairly soon. Uh, It's got tremendous support, both, I believe, Democrat and Republican. Uh, It has been signed and finalized essentially by Canada and essentially by Mexico. So we're waiting for that uh, from the United States. And we have uh, have really great support. And it's something, I think it's a very special agreement.
1: They said that Trump was going to ruin NAFTA. That's what they used to say. He's going to ruin NAFTA. Until they realized that NAFTA was uh, over 20 years old and needed to be updated. They said Trump was going to ruin NATO. And now it turns out that there's more funding from allied countries going to NATO. And the alliance is as strong as it has ever been. They just keep saying things that aren't true. And then they get mad at us for not. The libs get mad at us for not believing us when they're wrong over and over and over again.
4: They're wrong on trade, too. In the midst of uh, white supremacy, white nationalism, and and what I said a few weeks ago that racism is a national security threat, uh, this commission would have a immense authority. I think America is ready for this because of what we have been going through in the last couple of weeks, because of the attitude of our commander in chief, uh, and because of what we have seen. Uh, The dastardly impacts of white nationalism, white supremacy and outright racism that has impacted others, but certainly has impacted over the decades and centuries, African-Americans, the descendants of enslaved Africans.
1: We're going to have more uh, discussion going forward. That was uh, Representative Jackson Lee talking about reparations. You're going to have more of a reparations discussion in the future um, for reasons I'll get into in a moment. But let me say first, uh, this is another topic uh, that came up when I was doing Bill Maher a few weeks ago, Uh, because Marianne Williamson is very pro reparations and, and it's a huge applause line on the left. And it's it's an idea that to liberals and even to some on the right sounds good. It sounds good until you think it through, you understand the implications and you take actions based on policy based on the, the the doing of what you say you're going to do which is which is institute these reparations you, you have to implement it and i've just got to say you know you, you look at america right now you have 50 million americans uh, or permanent residents citizens who were born outside the united states who live in america right now 50 million. So you're going to have somebody who is, you know, you're going to have someone who's a, uh, you know, working really, really hard doing, you know, doing, we always hear about people doing two or three jobs, working two or three jobs who's from, let's say, Bangladesh or China or, you know, Ghana, anywhere. And their tax dollars, because, right, taxes come from all of us. I mean, the money they're paying into the system is going to go toward paying reparations and you're going to have people who are receiving money who nothing was done to, but the claim will be that things were done uh, so viciously and for so long that I suppose we're, we never, we never get beyond uh, what was done in the past. W- will there be an argument for reparations in a, in a hundred years, in 300 years? I wonder, you know, at what point do you do you pass the uh, the social, the psychological statute of limitation, so to speak, on this issue? Uh, And then you also just have the underlying injustice of taking from people through no fault of theirs and giving to people who were not wronged themselves by the individuals who are having to pay up. This is a a historical collective guilt imposition. Now, it's not going to happen. I do not believe that there will be reparations in this country, uh, but it'll continue to be a big talking point on the left, just like voter suppression, which anybody who looks at, for example, the Georgia, uh, the Georgia gubernatorial race knows that Stacey Abrams talks about voter suppression and it's not it did not happen. It's that she has nothing there. She just claims, well, you never really know if, you know, people would have voted who couldn't vote for some reason. Just like the pay gap. We keep we'll hear about the pay gap all the time, even though the pay gap is a myth. If a business could hire the same level of employee for the same work for 20 or 30 percent less, no capitalist would ever hire anything but women. The pay gap is a myth, meaning it is a lie, but it's a very useful lie to the left. People want to believe it, so they do believe it. People on the left want to believe that there would be a positive change that would come out of reparations, when that's just completely unrealistic. If they don't dole the money out to the descendants of those, uh, the descendants of those who are held as slaves, then what are they going to do with the money? Oh, it's going to go to some institutions on the left that will be controlled that what become the, uh, the the sort of equivalent of the Southern Poverty Law Center which is supposed to be watching over our civil rights and our, our morality as a country. But so the SPLC, I, I know it, it had a very important mission, but the SPLC has turned into a left-wing PAC. It's a left-wing political action committee. Does anyone really think that if there were reparations, that would not be The future of the institutions that would be funded with that money? Of course it would be. Why are we hearing about it? Why is it still coming up? Well, Elizabeth Warren has been making a real run in the polls lately. Elizabeth Warren is right up there with Bernie and Biden. What is her weakness? Where is she unable to get the support she needs to be the Democrat nominee? The answer is African American community in this country, she has very low numbers. Biden does very well with black voters. Uh, Elizabeth Warren, it's like n- barely even registering. So how do I think she's going to try and and prove her bona fides, prove her good faith to the black community in this country? Oh well, she's going to talk about reparations. Reparations by poll, uh, by polling numbers is about sixty percent. I know. I'm sorry. I I think it's much higher than the African. It might be as high as 75% of the African American community um, is in favor of it. So if you can appeal as a Democrat primary candidate to 75% of the African American vote on this issue, you're going to do it. So you're going to see some shameless Elizabeth Warren pandering, that is for sure. Uh, And just like you saw her appear with the, uh, what was it, the Native American? I believe she appeared with the Native American tribe a while ago in order to apologize for the mistakes that she had made. And that's really easy. Uh, She didn't make mistakes. She made a mistake, which was engaging in a multi-decade long racial fraud and racial appropriation to advance herself. But the left will forgive all sins, even sins of racial fraud for Elizabeth Warren, as long as she appeals to the right demographics as a candidate. Who is the worst Democrat candidate? I don't mean who has the least chance of winning because that's that's hard to assess because there are so many that realistically are not realistic candidates. Right. I mean, we, we know there are all these different candidates out there that are doing this for the attention. They're doing it for the brand value, the brand building, all that stuff. Okay, fine. I don't mean who is the worst Democrat candidate as a function of the polls. I mean, who bothers you the most? Producer Mike, who's the, who is the worst of the Democrats running for, running for president right now?
5: Uh, it's a tie between Gillibrand and her bad dancing and Kamala Harris and her horrible laughing. I don't know which one bothers me more. I,
1: I, dude, I think those are very solid choices for the worst. And in fact, with Gillibrand specifically, I think that, that it, for me it was, a, it, was a, it was a neck and neck race between Gillibrand and Kaiser Wilhelm de Blasio for the worst. And as I'm here in New York City, I do feel like I don't
5: even consider de Blasio a candidate.
1: Well, that's so. <laughs> it, I don't think de Blasio <laughs> considers de Blasio a candidate. I mean, it's just, he's just, yeah, here I am. I'm just going to, oh, it sounds like my stelter. I can't. I don't have a de Blasio impression yet. It just, it's like a big, worthless clown. Whatever that sounds like, that's what de Blasio yeah, sounds, starts like. Yeah, sounds like. Start snoring. Yeah, that's it. right. Just w- wake up at like 10, drive 45 minutes each way to a gym where you get after that elliptical for about five minutes, you know. De Blasio would be a five-minute and that's all elliptical guy. Wow, well, I just want to get a sweat up and uh, yeah, sure. Um, but here's what uh, producer producer Mark, the worst if you care to weigh in. Who's the worst of the Democrats?
0: Easily De Blasio is a New Yorker just watching him be exactly. the mayor. That's what I mean, I mean. He's terrible. So
1: I mean, you guys are right on. You guys are right over the target, right? I'm not. I'm not going to. Uh, I I can't say that you're either of you are wrong. I would just add for consideration because for me. He was an outlier candidate for the worst. Um, Beto may be in my number one spot now. He 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 just keeps getting more annoying, more sanctimonious, and you know there's a there's a desperation in this guy now because he was held up. He was supposed to be a top five contender. Now he's just like going around, and he's like, I'm more woke than the wokest of the woke i'm like a super woke star and i just and he says things that are utterly and completely indefensible um he's saying stuff that even smart libs should know it's just just insane here he is for example uh claiming Because, you know, one of the important narratives for the left on immigration continues to be that we are responsible for the Central American migrants that have been surging to our southern border. You and me, you listening to this and me, we are the reason they are coming here. And you might say, but Buck, that's crazy. And I would say, correct. It is crazy. But why are the libs saying this? Or what are the ways in which they make this case? One of them is... That we, because we try to spread, or stop, rather, the spread of communism into Central America. Uh, the very short version is yada, 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 Reagan, Iran-Contra, Central America, Sandinista, commies, commies, commies. And it's all our fault now. Which can't explain to me, for example, why Panama has a murder rate, which is a Central American country, or or Costa Rica, let's say, has a murder rate of, I think, about 10 per 100,000 And El Salvador is five times and was 10 times that until a couple of years ago. So if it's just a Central America geography thing and we've messed it all up, I'd like to know why some countries in Central America have been doing okay uh, When we have these other countries like uh, Honduras, Guatemala, uh, Honduras, Guatemala, Nicaragua and El Salvador have really all been in rough shape. So there's the geopolitical, oh, it's our fault, which, you know, you're going to hear from the Libs. And then there's the climate change, oh, it's our fault, which is an even more bonkers version of this, of this narrative. And here's what Beto, uh, just like, I don't understand science, and I don't understand really anything, but I do know how to sound really sanctimonious and earnest.
4: With the people of Honduras and Guatemala and El Salvador, reduce violence in their home communities, violence which we are somewhat to blame for, the civil wars that we've been involved in, the drug trade that we've facilitated, the war on drugs that has militarized and hollowed out their civic institutions in their home countries, and Guatemala suffering one of the greatest droughts in their recorded history, caused not by God nor by Mother Nature, but by you and me and all of us in our emissions and our excesses in our inaction in the face of the facts and the science and the truth.
1: It's like, I'm like an idiot religious preacher, but the religion is the religion of Beto. And I just want to tell you all like, oh my gosh, OMG, we are totally at fault. We're told it's
4: like all on us.
1: Yeah, it's not our fault, Beto. Uh, in fact, these countries all get a tremendous amount of benefit uh, benefit from America, and and have for a long time. We give on an on a. Uh, I'm trying to find the exact numbers on an, on an annualized basis, but to Guatemala specifically, uh, we have given. Hundreds of millions of dollars of aid. And we are treated like we're the bad guys. At least the libs want to act like we're the bad guys all the time. Uh, Guatemala has problems that have nothing to do with us. Corruption, lack of durable civic institutions, lack of infrastructure, lack of a viable economy, low educational standards i mean they've got a lot of stuff that no sane person could say is our fault but for beto because of the narrative it is in fact um our fault it has to be our fault that uh guatemala is having all of the problems uh that that it is say so it has gotten since 2001 i think is this ranking it's gotten uh million. That's not a very big country, but we're talking about a country that doesn't have all that many people. Um, But we don't get any credit for that at all. But so Beto's an imbecile. This is why he's really, he's making a a run in the polls for the worst of the Democrats, which I think had been. It really was a Gillibrand. It was a Gillibrand de Blasio race until recently for the worst, the absolute worst. Um, But then Beto was asked by a man at a town hall about abortion. Now, this is to be fair to Beto. That's right. Be fair to me. You have to be fair. uh, He gives what is the standard liberal talking point on this. But the way that he does it is just particularly disingenuous and annoying because at first he makes it sound like this is he makes it sound like that's a silly question. And then he says, well, of course. Of course, I am going to answer the question in a way that no moral human being could answer it.
0: Specifically, about third to- third trimester abortions, and you said that it's a decision left up left up to the mother. So, my question is this: I was born September eighth, nineteen eighty nine, and I want to know if you think on September seventh, nineteen eighty nine, my life had no value.
4: Uh, of course I don't think that, and um, of course I'm glad that you're here. But you you um, referenced my answer in, in Ohio, and it remains the same. Th- this is a decision that neither you nor I nor the United States government should be making. That's a decision for the woman to make. Uh, we want her to have the best possible access to care and to a medical provider.
1: So notice what he did there. He says, no, of course your life has value. But then he says, without missing a beat. But I mean, you know, your your mother could have decided your life had no value. That's that's up to it's totally up to her. So, yeah, you, you could have you could have been aborted the day before you were born. And that would be. That, that Beto is totally fine with that, if that's the mother's choice. There's no problem with it. doesn't even say, we certainly hope the mother wouldn't do that. doesn't say that at all. It's her choice. Totally her choice. Nothing else to think about here. And this is depravity, my friends. I mean, this is, it's intellectually flimsy. Right? You, you can't say that somebody, the question is, does a life have value the day before the baby is born? Does that life have value? You can't say, yes, it has value, but we leave it to women to determine whether or not the life has value. I mean, this is this is this wouldn't work in a ninth grade debate tournament. But this is Beto O'Rourke for you. This is who the Democrats until a few months ago were acting like he's the second coming.
4: And I'll tell you the consequence of this this attack on women's right to choose. And 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 I I listened to you and I I heard your question. I'm answering it. Um, And and the attack on on Roe versus Wade, which we thought was the settled law of the land. And and unless we had any illusion that the achievements that we
1: can, we just jump in for a second. Uh, Liberals say that this is a moron talking point. This is not even a thing that anybody should say. The settled law of the land. I mean, it's settled until it's not settled. So what is, you know, same-sex marriage was illegal until it was the settled law of the land via the Supreme Court, right? I mean, you look at any number of things. It, this is the way, you know, this is the way that the system we have works. And no serious person really thinks that Roe, even people that believe that abortion is a right that women should have, no, no serious legal jurist, uh, legal analyst, thinks that Roe v. Wade is good law. But anyway, keep
4: going with the Beto made are protected forever or that progress is inevitable that has been shattered right now and i want to tell you some of the consequences of this in my home state of texas thanks to these trap laws that uh, make it harder for uh, providers to offer the full spectrum of reproductive care more than Wait, a pause of a i just i was like this is where clinics. i want to know
1: the full spectrum of reproductive care
4: well, well, what are we really talking about
5: here
1: i've never heard a politician in my lifetime be like, we don't want women to, you know, we, we want to prevent them from having access to prenatal care or, you know, obstetricians or well, what is it? What is this full spectrum of of reproductive care? I mean, just say abortion, dude. Just say what you're really worried about. It's, it's not impossible. A lot of people listening to this are from Texas. If your woman is going to have a baby in Texas, there are plenty of places to go where you can get the care you need to have the baby. Right. There's hospitals and doctor's office and all that stuff. The only thing that's missing in the equation while he uses these vague phrases to disguise, the only thing that's missing is the abortion component. That's the only thing that anybody has a problem with
4: have closed and it has made us one of the epicenters of this maternal mortality crisis because not only can you not get safe legal access to an abortion you cannot get access to a cervical cancer screening or a family planning provider or in a state that refused to expand Medicaid any provider at all and we are losing the lives of women in our state as a result um, I, I don't question the decisions that that a woman makes I mean only she knows um, what she knows and I want right, to
1: I've had I mean this that. is The pandering can only go on for so long. I don't question the decisions a woman makes. Really? That's interesting. Well, what does that extend to? I mean, to say that and think it's an intelligent statement is really a statement about the lack of intelligence of Beto O'Rourke. This is a a completely fluff, worthless, nonsense talking point from this guy. But what you really figured out about Beto and what we've seen is that this guy was always flimsy. It was always just all smoke and mirrors. He is a candidate that the media was in love with. They propped him up. He was the anti-Ted Cruz for them until Ted Cruz beat him. And now we see that this is the person, this is a person that the media was doing front page. Oh, Vanity Fair covers all this stuff. Guy's just kind of a loser. It's just not somebody that you would be inspired by in any way, shape or form and also makes really crappy arguments. So is Beto the worst? He may be my number one right now. It turns out what we put on our
5: plates matters a lot.
0: About 25% of all the global climate change problems we're seeing can be attributed back to the food and the choices that we're actually making about what we eat on a daily basis. This is greater than all the cars on the planet. In fact, it's about twice as much global warming pollution as the cars.
5: If you really look at everything that went into making a single serving of beef, you end up emitting around 330 grams of carbon. That's like driving a car three miles. Livestock accounts for a little over 14% of global greenhouse gas emissions. If that sort of seems low to you, consider it's about equal to transportation. We're talking all the cars, trucks, planes, trains,
1: and ships on the planet combined. That's from Vox.com. I can just feel my testosterone levels dropping from listening to Vox at any point in time. Vox appears on my screen and all of a sudden I'm just like, I need a safe space. I don't know if I can handle. Oh, I'm so worried all the time. Uh, Vox is very wimpy. That is for sure. Uh, But... Whenever I say things to you on this show, like the left wants to control everything about your life and do it via climate change, this is a perfect example. They are telling you this is not an exaggeration. This is not taking it out of context. This is a becoming a more widespread belief in the left and get ready for a it's already been happening. But the meatless meat movement, which producer Mike, we both know. That is not a thing. There is meat and there is something else. There is not meatless meat. If you bring me a ribeye made out of tofu, it is tofu in the shape of something that actually tastes good.
5: There are only two genders and there's only meat.
1: Not These meatless are, meat. I think we gotta I think we gotta make a t-shirt. There's only two genders and meat is meat. Um This is where you see though, they really do believe that they have license, that they have a Th- think about it take their thought process to its logical ends. look at their argument and draw it all the way through they believe that we are in a moment of they call it a climate crisis a crisis that could end the world and if you're not willing to go along they want to force you because it's for all of our good this is about our survival as a species they will say And then everything that goes under that very broad umbrella of the climate crisis, they have the answers. They don't have to have any science background. They don't have to know and they don't have to make any changes themselves, which is another fascinating part of this. And this is the Leonardo DiCaprio move of flying on his private jet to climate change conference after climate change conference. You know, ultimately, it's just people who believe in climate change. They can be intelligent. They cannot have good judgment. That's the truth. He'd be very smart, but not wise. It's not possible to think the world is ending in 12 years based on this crap that people are peddling all over the place and think that and and be wise. It's not possible. So it really is a wisdom test. It's also a bit of a history test, because if you look back at these predictions in the past, they're always wrong. And I guarantee you, I promise you, the chances of you listening to the Buck Saxton show in 20 years, which at that point it will be a hologram of me hanging out in your living room. Hello. Welcome to the Buck Sexton. And I'll be like right there next to you. It'll be a little creepy. We'll have fun, though. Um, The chances that I'll be saying, I'm so sorry I was wrong about climate change. Zero. Zero. That's how sure I am about this. But they are so sure in the opposite direction in their minds that they want to tell you what you can eat. They want to tell you what you can drive, where you can go, how you light your home, how you heat your living room, all these things. This is a it's a crazy religious belief, my friends. I mean, this climate change is a cult. The climate change crisis mentality is a cult like mentality. It is impervious to reason and facts. They say things that are hysterical and think that that's acceptable. The world's going to end in 12 years. No, it's not. Well, it's not going to end in 12 years. It's just not. They can say it as much as they want. But they better not try to take my burger out of my hand. I tell you that right now. Meatless meat profane the very word meat they do the
0: show ain't over yet folks
4: keeping it real it's time for roll call
1: Roll call, time, everybody. You know how that is. Roll call for me. Roll call for you. Facebook.com/slash Buck Sexton. Let's see what you have in store for us today. All of the latest and greatest. Um, I'm 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 pulling it up. It's happening right now in real time. Brandy, right? Buck. Please go over the origins of Labor Day, will you? Thanks so much. Well, Brandy, I have done that in the past on the show. So that's uh, that's something that would definitely come up, I think, again. And I'm, I'm happy to do it if that's what people would like. A little bit of history of Labor Day. It's essentially commie day. Well, that's technically May Day, but it's a little bit of a commie holiday. I'm just saying. You know, you can get mad at me, but... It's about unions, about labor, because remember, if you're a union guy, you can't say labor. You have to say labor. Local 272 labor. You know what I mean? We're here in New York. We know. We know how it is. Scott writes, hey, Buck, the left is losing their minds. Trump blowing off the climate change forum of the G7 and are equally apoplectic about the China tariffs. In the interest of stirring up maximum havoc with the progressives, I think Trump should announce that the tariffs are to punish the Chinese for being the largest polluter on the planet and that shipping billions of tons of Chinese goods to America is doing irreparable harm to our oceans, which is undeniable. Trump can also roll in the it, roll in that the U.S. becoming energy independent has reduced carbon production by having dirty supertankers steaming oil halfway across the world. He can call it the best, biggest Green Deal ever. Shields High Scott. Well, I think I got all that. Uh, Thank you for sending this to us. It is true that whenever people are concerned about plastic in the oceans, whenever they're concerned about uh, the CO2 in the air from climate change, all of these things, they must first and foremost, if they are serious, be concerned about what is going on in the developing world, in China, in India. Uh, because they are polluting a whole lot more than we are, unless you're going to get them to stop. And does anyone really think we're going to get the Chinese government—the same government that, until recently, was enforcing a one-child policy, the government that will make anyone who speaks out against the uh, communist party thugocracy there disappear—anyone think they're going to start saying, "Yeah, you know what? We're 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 going to take better care of the planet"? We're going to be better stewards of the environment. I think the answer to that is most certainly no. Brock, not to be confused with Buck. That's kind of close. Definitely watch The Shield first. Keep up the great show. Was that a play on words there, Brock? See, I see what you did there. Keep up the great show. Uh, I think The Shield is going to... I've heard it's a little bit dated, but it's still worth seeing. Um, I kind of want to go back and watch. You know, what I never watched producer Mike the X Files. Hey, were you an X Files guy? I'm. Gonna, I'm not gonna lie. I saw previews for it back on Channel Five in New York when I was a kid, and I was scared. I was like, I don't know if I can watch this.
5: <laughs> it wasn't in the beginning, but I watched it when it went into syndication. And I didn't think it was. I think it's pretty good. I like it. Did, they, the did they do a reboot? They did a reboot, or they did a movie, they did a or movie. Re- they did a movie, but yeah. not a reboot. I don't think they did a yeah. reboot. I know they did a movie. They did. It wasn't.
1: It wasn't very good. So. There's not, you know, what there's not a great show out there right now that has captured the imagination of the public the way things like The Sopranos and Breaking Bad and Game of Thrones. You know, there's all these there's all these shows that are really in the in the zeitgeist that everyone's talking about right now. Maybe yeah. it's
5: late summer, so there's no new stuff. One of those shows you just mentioned is about to drop a movie. Do you know which one? Uh, Breaking Bad, right? Yeah. I saw a, I saw a little clip. Yeah, coming yeah, up Man. October first, I think. Oh, 13th. 13th? What yeah. do we saying? Netflix.
1: I got to tell you, I watched some of the Better Call Saul show, and I, I, I hear that if you can push through, you're happy with the decision, but it's so slow and weird in the beginning. It's like watching a bunch of lawyers talk about billable hours.
0: <laughs> keep going. It's amazing.
5: Yeah, it's good. Really? Yeah. yeah. I even thought it was good in the beginning. Oh, get out of here. It's crazy talk,
1: uh, but I, I will keep going. Jim. Well-spoken as usual, Buck. My girlfriend is a Division One soccer player in college, and she's had multiple head injuries and can no longer head the ball due to this. It's definitely a real thing. On point as usual. Shields high. It, it is a real thing. As somebody who, I probably should admit this, used to play organized soccer at the high school level, uh, I, you know if you head the ball the wrong way, first of all, the ball has too much air in it. It can actually be really hard. And if you head it the wrong way, you'll, you'll give yourself a headache, basically, uh, instantaneously. It's, I know, it sounds like a huge wimp. But people are rethinking some of this sports stuff, folks. We talked yesterday about Andrew Luck. I've been reading a little more about this, and that guy was dealing with all kinds of chronic pain. You see Gronkowski, who looks... Gronkowski, I don't know much about football, except I know that guy looks like he was built in a lab to be a football player, right? I mean, he's like six six or six, seven, two hundred and fifty 250 pounds you know probably seven percent body fat or something probably runs a four five forty and he did, did you see this producer mike he was he was talking about how he's like i had to retire because i just was in pain all the time and now he's really into cbd actually he's into cbd which i also i yeah. agree that that's an interesting area
5: yeah yeah He actually talking about maybe coming back today too really yeah he didn't roll it out well,' see, that's the thing though. you know that there's a high cost, but
1: it's also high reward i mean if if i could if I could be any professional I wonder what the audience would feel about this. if you could be any level of professional athlete in any sport in the world i I mean realistically, I would probably say being the number one tennis player in the world for me would be the coolest thing, because you have a very long career, you don't really have injuries, you get to go to like all these fun places, you know. Although it's grueling, because I think you play pretty much year-round. But uh, I think being a quarterback on, you know, basically the Tom Brady model, that's the ultimate, I think.
5: Yeah. If you want to make the most money and have longevity, you go baseball. Really? I man. guaranteed contract's number one. They can't take your money away from you like they can in the football. And it's, you know, no, I mean, you get concussions if you're a catcher, maybe, or if you get unfortunate and get hit in the head, but you don't get hurt. You not the same like way. You, not the same way. You get, like, overuse injuries, enough, you, but not, you yeah. don't get concussive force injuries. No. And at, on concussions, it's, uh, as looked up real quick, um, your concussion injuries are just as likely in soccer. They're equal. Soccer and football.
1: People make all these jokes about yeah. soccer. The truth is that, and out of the audience right now, everyone listening is like, come on. It's true. Heading the ball, especially near the goal, if somebody whips their head back, I mean, I've seen this happen It'll shatter your nose. I mean, it, it'll you know people get messed up because you have no protection. And these are you know these are big athletic people who are jumping around trying to head it, trying to you know use their you know, your forehead. Just ask anybody who's adept at Scottish bar fighting. Forehead is a weapon, my man. I mean, if you get some momentum behind that, you will mess somebody up. Um, I always thought it was fun. you know you see these European players in the in the soccer league. This is true. I know you're gonna say this sounds crazy. But you'll notice that they often go to the headbutt or the kick before the punch. Americans go for the punch. Soccer players, like Zidane, he's one of the most famous players of all time, he headbutted a dude in the chest. Like, that's a whole other level of headbutt, right? And also Eric Cantona famously did a fly kick to a fan in the stands. Not a punch, not a push. He ran up, jumped, and tried to kick him with a cleated foot. I just feel like that's... Yeah. In America, you throw a punch. Like you look at what's it? Remember Ron Artest ran up into the stands? He oh, yeah. was throwing punches. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It's a different deal. Just say, also, by the way, if, you know, this is a real thing. It actually came up in the Second World War. Uh, the reason the Germans had, I forget what the technical name for it, but people, our soldiers would call them potato mashers. You know, those old school from the army men, you could see them. It looks almost like a, a squat rolling pin as a grenade but we could have little pineapple grenades, you know, the ones that are round, because we all knew how to throw baseballs. You take this for granted, but you go to other countries, they don't know how to throw. When They don't learn the throwing motion. So that's why, you know, the Germans had to do this whole, like, over-the-head, over, over the head circular thing, and they had this special... It's like they're throwing a rolling pin instead of rolling a circular object, because yeah. they, when they throw a circular object, you know, yeah. foreigners tend to look like they Apparently, don't, don't
5: teach the throwing motion to actors either. either. You ever see an actor try to throw a baseball? Like in a movie? No. It's hilarious.
1: I'm always amazed at how unathletic actors are, actually. Like, yeah. they,
5: like they can't even fake
1: it for the purposes of the... Uh, anyway, you know, Google, Google Tom Cruise trying to throw a baseball. It's, it's quite funny. Oh, yeah, I'm sure. I saw the movie The Skulls, and there are a bunch of kids in that movie who uh, are supposed to be in a, in a very elite-level rowing race, like D1... Ivy League, which for rowing is like a big deal. It's not, you know, obviously for football, it's a joke. Um, And they're like talking and in the boat and stuff. And I'm just like, this is the most, this would be like if you're doing, if you had dudes who are sprinting on a racetrack, looking at each other like, hey, like I'm getting ahead of you, you know, like, no, like you're running as fast as you can. There's no like people looking at each other in the boat, having a conversation. You're not on a rowboat. You're not on the boat pond in Central Park. Darn it. All right, I have taken up too much of your roll call time with my blabbering, so we're going to... Well, hold on, hold on. We're going to come right back. Stay with me. And we're back with roll call part... Facebook.com slash Buck Sexton. And that's how you get on the action. And yes, it's pretty straightforward. Dora, economy is great, Buck. Barack Hussein Obama just bought a $15 million mansion in Martha's Vineyard. I just think it's interesting. Lib journos in particular, if you say Obama's full name, they, they think that that is some... That is some slight, you're not allowed to say Barack Hussein Obama, which is in fact his full name. And that, that, gets, that gets people upset. But yeah, he bought a $15 uh, million mansion, Martha. Remember, to, to buy a $15 million mansion, you have to have made, I mean, if you're assuming you're going to pay for it without a mortgage, which people with $15 million homes usually don't, don't get a mortgage, uh, you got to make about $25 million or so that buy that $15 million mansion. And then I'm sure the taxes for beachfront property and Martha's Vineyard year in and year out are mind-boggling. So uh, it's good to be Obama. guy's made plenty of cash. Mr. and Mrs. Obama have made a lot of money. Sean, right? CNN allowing Trump to be compared to Hitler, Stalin, and Mao is tantamount to incitement of violence against the president. This is exactly the same mindset that antifa uses to justify punching nazis i don't know sean if i could go as far as to say it's incitement against the president although although when you have the entire media apparatus parroting things about how trump is a fascist and we have the rise of fascism in this country all this stuff when you start to have enough people echoing that message I've said this to you before, if there really was a fascist government in this country, if I believed that the country was run by a fascist and we had fallen into uh, some form of of authoritarianism, would I take up arms against the government? Of course, that's what the Second Amendment is for. So saying that the government right now is fa- is fascist is is a grotesque overreach that some person without the judgment to understand that this is just now the way politics on the left are done may take that literally, as has been the case with other uh, other people in the past who have gone to violence because of the dominant political narrative. Julia writes, Buck, just started listening to your show, and I absolutely love it. Please work on your Brian Stelter impersonation because it sounds like Cartman from South Park. I think my stelter's pretty good. And here I am to do a show, because Jeff Zucker has completely approved it, and I do whatever Jeff says, and here I am. I mean, I think that's pretty close. Unreliable sources. That's what the show should be called. Adam Buck, with the latest Ruth Bader Ginsburg headline, the next fight will make the last one look like a warm, tropical breeze. Shields high. Adam If you do have a Supreme Court vacancy that opens up, perhaps because of RGB's retirement, um, if that were to happen in the election year, I, I don't know that we have a different... I don't know that there is a higher outrage gear for libs, for leftists right now. I mean, they already think that Trump is basically Hitler. They already think that that's worse. So can you get worse than basically Hitler? I don't think so. But you're correct that that would seem to add... A whole other layer of just insanity onto the the way that the left currently views all this stuff, because the the Supreme Court has given the left some of its biggest victories in the culture war and in in American politics for the last 40 years. You know, the, the biggest wins that the left has had on policy have have more often than not come through the Supreme Court. I mean, it has been their super legislature. Not just Roe and however you feel about same sex marriage. Oberg fell and, uh, you know, you just go through all these different all these different cases. What the libs would point to would be Bush v. Gore, which really isn't a complicated case at all. Gore lost every count of votes that ever happened. Gore lost. They could keep trying to come up with some way to only count some, you know, some sometimes and not a Gore lost. I will say one one hole in my impressions. I do not have an Al Gore. I do not have it. I sound like Eeyore when I do Al Gore. And so I've got to get better at my Al Gore impression. It's not good. It's not. I, I need to work on it. He's kind No, I can't do it. Can't do it. We'll do it live. Uh, Sean Buck, the shield is a way better cop show. I started watching it while in the military and started in the third season when recommended by a coworker. Binge watch the first two seasons in a weekend. Vic and the crew will rivet you to the television. Phenomenal. Shields. High. I may have to check that out. You know, I remember when I was in Iraq now over a decade ago, and we had a bunch of uh, a bunch of door kickers that I was hanging out with in the. What is it? The. the uh, MWR mental wealth, mental. I, I forgot, gosh, I can't remember what this The Rec Room, whatever they call the Rec Room in the military now. I'm forgetting. Sorry. I was never in the military, so why would I know? Well, I spent a lot of time on military bases. Uh, But they were watching the show, and I was like, so this is like an ancient Roman history show, except with like a lot of violence and nudity and things like that. Sign me up. And that show was HBO's Rome, which I'm still sad to this day, only went two seasons. I thought that show, do you ever see that? That show is awesome. You should watch HBO Rome. It's only two seasons. They said it was too expensive to continue with another season. It was a very expensive show to produce. That was what, you know, the guy who was the uh, showrunner for that went off and made um, The Mentalist later on. All right. Great show coming tomorrow from New York. Shields high.